Welcome to Research Pages, a podcast on all things to do with academic research. I'm Neve Tumulty, and I'm Head of Open Research Services at the University of Cambridge. And I'm Andrew Page, Head of Informatics at the Quadrum Institute. Standard disclaimer, of course, these are our own opinions and not those of our employers. So let's get on to the good stuff. We started the Research Pages podcast back in 2019, before COVID-19 had ever been heard of. We had a series of conversations on research support, before the challenges of working through a pandemic whilst also supporting home learning took over, as it did for so many people. For this conversation, we wanted to reflect on what Andrew got up to over the last couple of years. So Andrew, what did you get up to over the last couple of years? Well, what people may not realise is that for the past few years, I've been working on infectious diseases. And I suppose it was a very unusual topic. Not many people work in infectious diseases or on public health. Of course, COVID came along and my world changed. It meant I was redeployed on my team to work on COVID-19. And that's what we've been doing for the past two years. So what had you been doing before this happened? What was your day job before that happened? I was running core bioinformatics and core sequencing uh, within a research institute. And so our day-to-day was just supporting other researchers. You know, they come along with crazy ideas or they want some stuff and analyzed. And, uh, you know, my team would go along and help them. And we'd build pipelines, build software, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you were critical to the research process, but not necessarily the research leads. Yeah, I, I'm not an academic, or I certainly wasn't. I was supporting other academics, and that was my primary role. So then what happened when you got redeployed onto COVID? How did that change? Well, it came about because I shared an office with a part-time uh, member of faculty, Tom Connor, who works in Normandy, Wales, and he's like, hey, we're thinking of putting together like a little consortium to do some genome sequencing of covid and he was like, okay, you know, do you want to be on board? Sure, why not? Me and another guy, an Irish guy, Justin O'Grady, and Quadrum said yes. Then we found out about a week later that actually it was a bigger consortium than we expected and there was a lot of money in it and it, was, it turned out to be the COG UK COVID-19 Genomics Consortium. So how many people were involved in this consortium? Well, just in terms of partners, major partners, there's at least, what, about 15 universities and institutions. There's Sanger Institute, there was all the major public health bodies, uh, from all the four nations, there was hundreds of other organizations, you know, giving us samples, hospitals, that kind of thing. So it was, it was enormous. And then in each institution, there were dozens of people. Within Quadrum alone, like at one point I counted, there was at least 30 people involved in one way or another in just getting uh, SARS-CoV-2 samples sequenced and analyzed and out the door. To get a consortium set up very rapidly, Sharon Peacock, who, who led the consortium, got people who all over the country who already had existing contacts, who all kind of knew each other because we worked in public health. And then we went to local hospitals that we work with and use our pre-existing networks to say, hey, can you give us some samples? And they're like, sure, why not? And so we could get, we got samples and we started off doing, because we were based in Norfolk, getting samples from Norfolk and uh, working with the local hospitals to get those in, get them sequenced, analysed, and then we were sending like reports and, and that kind of thing back to the local hospitals saying, hey, you got an outbreak here, mm-hmm. uh, or that kind of thing. And also then it was being fed in to a national system. So there was um, a competing system called CLIME, funded by the MRC, and I'm co-I on that grant. And so that was like a national database where all the, all the SARS-CoV-2 data would go into all the genomes and it'd be analyzed and be shared with the public health bodies but also 
it would be shared uh, globally as well as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and from that the UK government uh, were given reports and uh, you know there's constant analysis going on to see how the pandemic was progressing on a genomic scale and the UK was a world leader on this At certain points like the UK was uh, producing like more than half of all the data in the world and you were able to see the impact of what you were doing in a way that you never could immediately before yeah, I mean, we were working seven days a week, like for months and we were Christmas and New Year's and like it was crazy, crazy areas, but it was because the impact was immediate and we were doing analysis and then suddenly we would end up, you know, in SAGE, you know, a short while later would be a small part of it or whatever, but it would be immediate impact and then that would have an immediate impact on government policy and the policy, you know, what happens to people, you know, in the country to manage pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like academic research where you write a paper and maybe someone reads it in five years and, you know, most, most academic research goes nowhere or it stays within the confines of academia. Whereas this was, uh, you know, out in the public domain immediately, globally, mm-hmm. immediately and as fast as possible. Publishing, you know, in most cases, isn't fast enough. Uh, for this kind of very, very high impact, rapid turnaround analysis. So how did you adjust your approach to publishing as a result of this? Well, first of all, because we're within a consortium, like there's lots and lots of senior people. And normally, you know, there'd be a lot of discussions and, you know, horse trading over who would be leads and whatnot. But basically everyone left their egos at the door and it was just get the information out there fast, accurately, and so there's a there's a very very heavy reliance on preprints, on getting uh, data into databases, not just into say the database that everyone uses, like which is Gizaid, but actually also getting them to open databases which are without restrictions as well, because you know you want your data to be as easy to use as possible. We found that impacts are very different. You know we were writing reports and we we're writing uh, white papers and we we're writing whatever to get information out there quickly. I'm, and on another podcast that I have called the Microbenefit Podcast, we were actually I did a series of um, podcasts just on SARS-CoV-2. And the idea is like two practitioners in the field to tell them exactly these are the kind of the current state of the art, this is what you think about, this is how it is. And it was like to get it out there as quick as possible, you know, and mm-hmm. we had experts on and as a, another medium for disseminating information very quickly in an area that is brand new, totally changing yeah, every week it was changing. It was very, very rapidly undergoing undergoing change. And other countries were looking to the UK for leadership in this area. And then the other thing was we were running training courses as well as part of Arctic and CLIMB. Yeah, these are two consortiums to, again, get experts basically on YouTube. You know, it was done on Zoom and uh, the, the stuff was put up on YouTube later. But to get it out there to uh, people all around the world because countries didn't know what to do necessarily and they their scientists needed guidance and help. And as well as doing all of this rapid science communication to other researchers, you also found yourself having to communicate to the public, which was new for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm like a, an introverted person. I'm very quiet and shy, but we found that particularly around Christmas 2020 when the very first variant of concern emerged, which was the Alpha variant, which emerged in the UK, that actually we had to go out and give clear and accurate information to the public because there was none out there. And so a group of people within COG UK and and experts more widely decided, okay, we will make concerted effort to go out and talk to journalists, 
talk on camera, on radio, on to print journalists, to everyone, to make sure that the information getting out there was clear and accurate. It wasn't scaremongering. It wasn't, you know, looking for scary headlines and whatnot. It was just clear and accurate from people who actually were working with the data and understood what was going on. And so then at, in the end, I ended up being on TV, God knows how many times. I don't like it still. I don't like seeing myself on TV and on radio. And I've uh, contributed to many stories as well. And it's always in the same vein to get clear and accurate information out there to mm-hmm. the general public. But you've also been able to give opportunities to colleagues of yours that enjoyed it a bit more. So you didn't have to do it all yourself. You had some colleagues that were very good at it as well that enjoyed doing it. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not an expert in everything. I know my little bit. And so when I did need other people to comment on things, I made sure to get the experts within my team to give that commentary. And some of them were maybe recent graduates and their PhDs, but they know the same molecular biology inside out or, or whatever. And so they are experts on it and they can answer any questions. So yeah, of course, you put forward the people who know their stuff. And you also got involved with one of the SAGE working groups as well. Yeah, so in the UK, the pandemic is managed by the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. It's usually only stood up for a few days or weeks at a time, but now it was stood up for about two years. And that's to provide clear and accurate scientific advice to the government in the UK. And because it's such a big task, lots of people were invited to participate in lots of different working groups. And the working group that I was on was on care homes and uh, social care. And the idea was that... I had helped out with some research, as as did you, Neve, on uh, using genomics in long-term care facilities for looking at outbreaks of uh, COVID-19. And it's very important because these are the areas where there is very high mortality rates, the highest mortality rates in the entire pandemic were within care homes, unfortunately, and because these are very vulnerable people near the end of their lives. And so I joined as a participant uh, in, in a particular working group, the social care working group, that's part of SAGE, to give advice on genomics and the use of genomics, because it is really useful, it turns out. And that sounded like a really interesting group, because it brought brought together people from a broad range of professions, didn't it? It was amazing, yeah, you had experts in each different fields, from each different area, and all you know on one call. This doesn't happen normally in academia, you don't have mathematical modelers and you know, people who are experts in, in geriatrics and the people who are experts in genomics and, and all of these different things in one space, all, you know, a, a pure mission to answer questions. To, and they're answering, we're answering commissioned questions from either SAGE or Department of Health. And so a very, very focused, we need answers on this. And so then you have a, a group of people from lots of different fields get together, and then try and answer those questions and give clear and accurate advice cutting through everything and, you know, saying we don't know or further work is needed on this if that is the case. And now that restrictions are being dropped in many countries at this stage, how's it, how does it feel to be moving out of that real intensity that you've had for the past two years, working through Christmas, through weekends, into a, this, this new stage? What's it like? We've had this false dawn a few times where... We've thought, you know, in the dips between waves that, oh, great, you know, now we're getting back to life as normal. We can start winding down. We can start getting, spinning up our old original projects, our, our normal day jobs. 
and then suddenly Islam did a lot of work because something has gone uh, gone crazy. But I think really we are now nearly at that point where things are stable and are properly winding down. Maybe I might be wrong in two weeks. but I really hope you're not wrong. I hope I am not wrong. We are at this point where things are winding down. You know, vaccinations have proven to be hugely effective. And hopefully we can get back to a more normal life and a more normal, stable system of surveillance. You know, the, the way forward is just surveillance of people who are severely ill and maybe some community surveillance. But apart from that, you don't need to test everyone and sequence everyone. You know, you just need to have a a broad overview and then target people who are severely ill. Just in case there's like variants that are causing severe illness and keep an eye on what's in the community. So does that mean you get to go back to your day job if you can remember what it was? Yeah, well, I'm trying to start spinning up my normal work because obviously everything's been kind of put in the back burner for two years and people have been very good, you know, giving us a lot of leeway to just get the job done. But yeah, we do have to start going back to more normal stuff. And it is nice actually to think about something totally different because, you know, you're doing the same thing day in, day out for two years and it's fine as an emergency where you can run at, you know, maximum speed. You can sprint, but you, you can't run an entire marathon of sprinting. You have to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point where I think we all just need a break and we all want to get back to more normal stuff. So what kinds of things might you be working on now then? Well, I want to get back to new exciting things like writing these software methods to look at, say, foodborne pathogens. So something slightly different. So bacteria instead of viruses. And then things where we have a bit more time to think about them and maybe develop new methods. We'll go in depth into them. Mm-hmm. And we don't have this uh, high pressure environment where obviously people are dying and you have to do something about it or try and track it. We can get back to more fundamental and basic research and supporting that. So within within my current role, like we get funding in five year chunks. So now we're thinking about the next five years and that's horizon scanning and looking forward, and which is nice. It's a very different way of thinking in a strategic manner. You get to have all the crazy ideas about what you might want to work on in the next few years. And are there any things about the way you've been working in the last two years that you think are going to stick and become part of your new way of working? Well, we have found that um, like getting papers out the door is very different now. There is this real big push to just get the information out the door as quick as possible, say in a, in a preprint. Mm-hmm. And we've found it very successful to actually have like writing teams where we just get together, we have a shared Google Doc and you'll have a load of people just working on it and we'll divide up the work. Everyone knows what they have to do anyway and let's say one person would be good at doing one piece of analysis, they'll pop that in and then, you know, people know the general flow of papers and it's great and collaborative and it means that we've been able to actually write papers in a very short space of time or, or preprints a short space of time and hopefully we can keep that up you know where it's not just you know one person goes off into a room for two years and writes a paper and does a bit of analysis and and whatnot you know it's it's far more collaborative and far more productive as well and also we get the information out there earlier as well because now we're not afraid to talk about you know get maybe unpolished preprints out there we know that okay we, we can fix it up you know but later and we're much more attuned to the whole process of uh getting data out there. I think it's really interesting because you're in a field that was already quite open. You already had databases that you were sharing sharing the data in and you already were doing open publishing, but it, it does seem to have further accelerated your ways of doing open research. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's had an impact on an entire generation of researchers. 
I mean, that's a huge amount of experience to have had in a two-year period. But of all the different things you were doing, what are the things you think were most important or valuable in terms of your contributions during this time? I guess the things I remember the most is helping out countries all around the world. So we've helped set up sequencing in Zimbabwe. We did sequencing for them and analysis. And in we've helped out Lebanon and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Ireland even. Um, we've given advice, you know, to many, many counterparts in different countries, you know, about something small, something big, but it all adds up. And I think it was just being able to spread our knowledge very rapidly to other people and then just to see the impact on them immediately. You know, it's not something you wait around for. It's, you know, you'll see the impact immediately. Mm-hmm. Like my team, we shipped out like pre-configured laptops to Zimbabwe with uh, sequencers and reagents to get them up and running with sequencing. And they actually, over Zoom or WhatsApp, they were able to actually get trained remotely on really complex stuff and get their first sequencing run on um, themselves in the National Lab there. And then they were able to identify the very first Delta variant in, in their country themselves. That's a huge achievement. That's building proper capacity in another country. So yeah, I'm very proud of those, thing, those things, particularly the overseas work. And hopefully you'll be able to keep on collaborating with them in future projects. Absolutely. I think these uh, collaborations and networks have been built for life. Really looking forward to seeing what happens in future. I hope some of the positives manage to be kept and, and that we never have to see some of these negatives again. Our plan now is to have a series of conversations over the next few months, moving back to what we started with, which was to have research conversations from the perspective of a computer scientist and a professional librarian. And I'm really looking forward to getting into these conversations. There's a lot going on. As am I. Thank you for listening to Research Pages. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. The views expressed in this podcast are our own opinions and do not represent the views of the University of Cambridge or the Quadrum Institute.